Luke chapter 20 from verse 9. Jesus was speaking to the people and he went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, May this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, what, Then what is the meaning of what, that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew that he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. Lord, as we read your word, as we read Jesus speaking truth to religious people, we recognize ourselves in the responses. We recognize that we want a saviour but we don't want to be tenants. We want to own our lives. We want a God who loves us but we don't want to give up anything. And you understand that. You understand our nature that is fallen. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will encourage us this morning how to allow you to be Lord of the vineyard that is our lives. That we might live very aware that it is not ours. But we will rejoice in that. And that all we have will indeed be yours. And that you will teach us how to grow into that reality. So Lord, we need your help, we need your spirit. We need your grace. Thank you that you reign it upon us. May we live and walk in that and receive that this morning. To Jesus' glory and in his honor we pray. Amen. So the basic meaning of that parable is pretty easy to follow, isn't it? It's, it's basically one of ownership. It's one of saying whose life is it, whose church is Jericho Road, who, who owns what and who's in charge. That's the sort of classic phrase. And the owner sends uh, these people who are renting his vineyard and says, when the harvest comes, uh, some of it is due to me. And they say, uh, like most of us, when the crunch comes and we have to pay the bills, 
We don't like doing it. And we resent it. We like to drive on the roads. We like to have water delivered to our houses. We like everything to work, but we don't like paying taxes. We want free education and free hospitals and free this and free that, but we don't want to pay. Human nature is that way, isn't it? Or at least mine is. I have to confess. And Jesus is speaking to the people of his day and they're people just like us. And he says the owner sends people to collect what is his and they would rather kill him. And I want to think this morning about not only who is owner of my life and who is owner of Jericho Road, but in a bigger picture I want to think about what does it mean to be a church? Because I think one of the things that is grappling and struggling in our culture and in our society is the same question that we've asked every decade, which is why belong to a local church? Why bother going to church? I will worship God. You know the classic one, I meet God on the golf course, I meet him up on the, on the mountain, I meet him in the sea. You know that phrase? You might have heard it from lots of people who aren't here. Um, <laughs> It's amazing how spiritual people are in the open air. Um, and what's the point, therefore, of, of giving up a Sunday morning and coming and staying here and, and doing some stuff together? What is the nature of this community that we say that we want to build or we want God to build? And I think I want to speak uh, uh, encouraging reality out of my new kindness and gentleness. <laughs> Bev, believe and it will be so. Let me start by saying some phrases. God builds cities, not trailer parks. He builds orchestras, not soloists. He builds vineyards, not single grapes. He builds relationships, not religion. He builds character in people, not perfection. If this is God's church, then what is his priority and how does he want to do it? And that's what Jesus came to do. He said, the first thing I will do in my church is to lay a foundation, and that foundation is my life laid down for the forgiveness of your sin. We'll talk about that next week. I'm going to talk about next week the cross and the meaning of the cross just because it's a good thing to do. But the entranceway into the church is because of what God has done. Because he's saying there is nothing you can do to earn being part of my family. It's called grace and it's called forgiveness. And the church is meant to be a place where once we come to know who Jesus is and through Jesus who God is and the love of the Father, we know that intellectually then he's about captivating our hearts and captivating our hearts in order to captivate our lives and lifestyles and characters grow and change. Many of us know the futility of spending years and years in churches building, getting information that hasn't made any difference in our lives. That's what religion is. It's a lot of time, it's a lot of talk and it's not very helpful. But for many of us, whether we like to admit it too fully or not, we, we, I want this much of God. I want as much of God as I can kind of absorb without making any changes. 
And then I can say things like, I go to church and I give some money and I do this and I do that. And God at the background, unfortunately, probably says, so what? Whatever you've given, I've given my son. Match it. And I don't need your money because I own it all, so why would I need your money? That's as futile as a kid's parents saying thanks to the, the kids for giving them five cents. You can't earn God's acceptance when he's already said you are unacceptable in your state. You need forgiveness. You need to be cleansed. So I have sent my son. And the vineyard story about ownership is also about who sets the agenda. And for many of us in many churches, what we do is we just rewrite the agenda and say, well, we're doing this. And one day we'll come along and say, well, you did all that, but none of it is what I asked for, so you get zero. I was talking to somebody the other day about imagining being before God, standing before God, you know, after death. And I've got nothing against, personally against Mick Jagger, but he's an easy example. Imagine being Mick Jagger naked in front of the living God. And God the Father looks at him as a beloved child and he says, your gift was a gift to be a worship leader. You were enormously gifted to write music, to sing, to entertain. But more, I gifted you with worship leading. How did it go? And he won't even have gum to chew on. And he'd be there naked. And he might well say, I took it all for myself. Sex, drugs and rock and roll isn't too cool in the throne room of the king. And he won't be judging with harshness. He'll be weeping. What a waste. Your whole life was spent leading people into destruction. And I gave you a gift that could have blessed so many. Do you know how gifted you were? Do you know how blessed you were? I wonder what you will say. There's no excuses left. There's no time. It's just absolute truth. I search your heart. I'm not asking for perfection. All I'm looking for is attitude. Did you live as if you were renting or receiving something that was a gift to you that you knew you did not deserve. You know, there's some people who are even struggling about the fact that I got remarried. Grace is grace is grace is grace is grace. Every single one of us lives under that. Mercy is mercy is mercy is mercy is mercy. The Pharisees could not handle that. We can't handle it. But when our lives are brought up before the living God, I know some of the stories in Port Alberni. My life looks pretty cool next to some of the people who judge me. It's not self-righteous. I just take Jesus' grace seriously. And so for me... The fact that eventually uh, Cheryl and I get married is, a, is a, a symbol of grace and hope. It's no source of shame whatsoever. That's the gospel, I thought. I think. I know. That's the good news. 
And we're called to be the body of Christ. We're called to be a place where people find that. That's what we want to talk about. And the body of Christ in Romans 12 trouble is I get on these tangents and then I kind of <laughs> Romans 12 verse 3 for by the grace given to me I say to every one of you do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others we have different gifts, and then he goes on to describe that. But what he's describing is a body that is alive. And a body that is alive is made out of cells that are alive. What happens to dead cells? Dead cells are dead weight. Dead cells are cast out. Living cells help bear the weight. And all the metaphors, um, you know, dead, dead, dead um, branches are pruned off. Dead is defined as heavy and cumbersome and counting for nothing. So how do we be a church where we are not dead? For each one of us is a cell. And what that cell does in the body is contribute to the whole. And all the metaphors that Jesus speaks about, speaks about this living, vibrant, organic uh, group called the church. It's not a place to go to. It's a community to belong to. That's why it doesn't matter if we meet in a gym or outside or wherever. It doesn't matter. It's all about relationship. Imagine if every fruit tree and every branch and every fruit tree and every piece of fruit had free will. I wonder how many orchards there would be. I wonder how many fruit trees there would be. I wonder how many would say, I don't want to be pruned, thank you very much. I don't want to be here anymore, I want to go somewhere else. And I want to suggest this morning that the reason God calls us to meet as a church is because it is the only way that he can build into us the character that he desires that reflects the love of Jesus. In Hebrews 10, as we read, and, uh, you know, Bill said, yes, it's, it's a very well-known passage. Well, you know, the devil's quote scripture. It can be very well-known, but is it well-lived? Hebrews 10, verse 25 Actually, we'll start at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. What's he saying there? He's saying you come in because of what God has done in Jesus. So whenever you feel accused and whenever you feel condemned and whenever you feel you're not worthy, well that's true. 
But the other part is also true that Jesus says, but I love you and I've already done stuff for you, so enter in. That's why when we sang that song and it wasn't rehearsed, let it rain, what was also coming through strongly was receive it. I mean, I can rain down upon you as much as I can, says God. But if you won't stand in it, it won't make any difference. And many of us are crying out to God for stuff. And he's saying yes. And we're not getting it because we're not understanding that it is found in the ordinary ordinary mundaneness of our lives and relationships. And so he says, as you come in through this grace, through this cross, through this place where he says, I've called you, I've chosen you. So if you're not with me, there's only one reason, and that is because you didn't want to be. And so he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's the point of the church. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In Psalm 68, it had that wonderful phrase where it says, God places the lonely in families. That's not just, that's everybody. The church is also meant to be a family, a place where you belong so that you know that no matter what happens in your life, there will be people there to support you, encourage you, give you a place to stay, whatever. No conditions. Unfortunately, most of our gatherings are places that are conditional. And they're conditional upon behaving right, of getting your act together, or hiding it. Because we say to be Christian means to have it all together. To be Christian doesn't mean that. To be Christian means that I have discovered that God loves me, that God has gone to the cross for me through Jesus, and that Jesus pours out his Spirit so that I can be changed day by day. To be Christian means I just tapped into the creator of the universe who personally loves me, and he's got a lot of work to do in me. And if you spend much time with me, you're going to agree with him, and you're going to say, how can he be a Christian? He can say, very easily, because Christians are sinners saved by God. So all are welcome. And all your stuff, the ugly stuff, is welcome as well because the light will gradually get in there and release it and then you'll be set free and we're all being set free. And that's what I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking about because I know you just love listening to me. So, Hebrews, what is it? There are eight things. I believe David, I haven't listened to his talk yet, but I believe he used PowerPoint, so I thought I'd better keep up the standard here. Um, this uh, is the backdrop for now. I'll talk about it in a minute. All right, the first one. We're just going to run through this quickly. I don't know how clearly you can see that, but it's, the church is a place where you can be motivated and encouraged. And maybe, I, I was thinking of Ken, even disciplined. Because I didn't want to get to you in a negative. Disciplined. But it was a, a good discipline. It's the Weight Watchers discipline. It's the, the going to curves discipline, you know. People have learned something. And they've learned that we don't do well on, us, on our own. So you, you form clubs and you form societies and you form all kinds of things where people can come together and say, let's all lose weight together or let's all do this together or let's all train for the Olympics together. That's what the church is meant to be, a place where we get motivated and encouraged to what? Follow Jesus, love him, worship him and work that out together. Next one, please. It's a place where... Uh, 
And one other thing with the other, the motivator. If you if you ever try and set yourself up on an exercise regime, by about the third day you will give up, and then you'll be making excuses. We need one another to say, "How's it going?" Or oh, that's a totally unrealistic target. Why don't you try this? But all of us and everything that's good, we we tend to bail out on. And don't you think the same is true in Christian growth and living? Particularly when you've got an enemy who's coming along saying, what are you doing that for? You know how you look? And he'll accuse us. So there's a point where we need one another to encourage us to grow as Christians. And a huge part of that is learning how to encourage one another in our weakness, brokenness and all the nonsense that's part of our lives. It's so much effort pretending. It's just much easier to be a forgiven sinner, in my experience. I love watching the self-righteous get upset. It's just cool. As my daughter would say, it, it must suck to be you. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so much effort being self-righteous. Or being a perfect Christian. I don't know how anybody does it. Anyway, the next one is worship. We come together to worship together because it's the same reason... I mean, this is ridiculous. This is like my speaking to a hockey club and saying, why do we meet together at the arena to watch a match? And they'd scratch your heads and say, we don't need to go to a course on this. Because it's cool, it's fun. Well, we come together to worship God together to build ourselves up and it's much more fun singing with 55 people than it is on your own, particularly if you can't sing. And then you, you can get drowned out, but something happens in worship. Worship is about coming to before God and saying, Jesus, I love you. Half of us don't even know how to say that to one another, so we're really inhibited, and I'm speaking from experience. Worship is the thing that has healed me and is healing me of my own inhibitions about love. Cheryl's got lots to look forward to. <laughs> I can't resist these little societies. But it's the same... <laughs> It's the same reason. We need one another. You're not going to feel like worship when you come in here half the time. So what? Being here will motivate that. Third one is teaching. Reading the scriptures, learning how to understand them, learning what they say, so that I don't just go, are you anyway tired about having your whole life run by your emotions? Do you ever get tired about hearing how people feel? <laughs> don't you get tired of your own feelings would you trust your feelings part of reading scripture is to say thank God there's a truth beyond my feelings thank God there is something that is deeper and stronger and more reliable than my feelings because my emotions oh my depends what time of the day it is what time of the month it is what time of the year it is so I don't want to trust my feelings. They, they, they are there, to, they count for something, but they're not the reason for my life. And so we read the scriptures in order to do that. How do we follow Jesus together? Fourthly, it's an opportunity to serve and care for others. Because there's a revelation Jesus brings into the world. He says, you know what, life's not all about you. That's quite astonishing. I called you to serve. And many of us are raised on milk and we still drink milk and just say, Lord, I want, I want, I want, please do this, please do that, please do that. And he goes, oh, for crying out loud, shut up. That's a word from the Lord. 
And some of you know it's for you. Shut up. Get over it. I love you. That is a word from the Lord. I think it's, I'm, I'm not joking. There's a word from the Lord. Love one another as I love you. It's all linked in. It's why we need each other. So opportunities to serve and care for others. Fifth, because I've got to keep moving here. It's a place to belong and build friendships and relationships. All of us need that. I'm not going to ex- uh, expound on that. Number six, it's a community. This is um, important. They're all important. This is, it's a community where I can be supported and served. I bug some of you because you want to help everybody else and I say, so let somebody help you. And you get all coy and you don't know what to do and you get all awkward and you spiritualize it and basically get over that too. If you don't let somebody help you, you don't let them get blessed because you get blessed when you help others. So let them help you too. And if you don't know how they can help you, come and talk to me and I'll help you help, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll help you work it out. Because most of us have so many blind spots and flaws and things that we can find something to keep you humble. Yeah, I'll, I'll work with you too. Yeah. And, the, and the next one is counsel. And that means really, how do I walk into the freedom that Jesus has for me? We all need that. It's easy. Churches are really easy to be theoretical and super spiritual. But how do I walk into the freedom of what Jesus has in actual reality in real time on Monday to Friday? And sometimes we need to sit down and talk about that and, and help one another get there. And number eight, and I'm sure there are more, is it's in the context of the church, the gathering community, that we should be learning what love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, mercy looks like. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting it out of the book and getting it into the lives of who we are as a church community. I think I'll skip to uh, a little story and then we'll... This, uh, do you want to go to the next slide, slide, please? There you go, it's the same one. That is Friendly Cove. Went there for a honeymoon. <laughs> now it's a church. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not saying any more. And Fred was very kind to take... I mean, can you imagine anything better than three days with Fred? He was very kind. Uh, Fred, I'm serious, it is. I found... I walked along this and... uh, When Cheryl finally let go of my hand, I picked up some stones. And these stones are amazing. If you go into Friendly Cove, it's amazing. Because all the stones are smooth, smooth, smooth. They've been sitting on those beaches for hundreds and hundreds of years, being rolled around, the waves wash over them, and they rub them together and they get this. This is granite. Do you know how long it takes for granite to look like this? A long time. I think Friendly Cove is a picture of the church. And I think that God's desire is for us to look like this. It's called taking the rough edges off. It's called growing in grace. And I interviewed these, this is Graham Granite. 
and said, what's it like? And he said, well, I, I, I just lay on the beach for hundreds of years. And I came in contact with all these other stones and the waves washed over and moved us because we didn't have our own strength or ability to do it. And all these funny little stones and pebbles, there were lots of them. Is there another slide there, please? Lots of them, with some seaweed too. Just pushed us backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and gradually I noticed I was changing. And the rough edges were being rounded out. And I thought, imagine my life here on a beach for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then a guy, he walks along and he picks it up. And he holds it up in front of a whole lot of people and says, this is like God working with you. What is so insignificant becomes significant. Now, I don't know how to plead with us more than I'm pleading now. Because I believe from the bottom of my heart the biggest problem in the church is our pride and our unwillingness to be part of this community. You will not be rounded out and you will not grow in the Spirit of God without allowing yourself to be pressed on other sides by other people and when we stop setting the agenda. When we stop moving from church to church, cherry-picking the bits we need. You see, if you, if you go through... Just turn the next slide, please. If we go through... Next one. Just carry, Is that it? Oh, then I just want to go back to the list, please. There, there we go. If we, if, if we look at that, what happens is we tend to say, I like that second one. Or I'll have the fourth one. But God is not a linear thinker. He doesn't think sequentially. God is multifaceted. Like all these little stones. And what He's doing in your life and my life is way beyond what you can see. You and I focus on one thing and He's focusing on a process that is much, much bigger. And the sooner we learn how to take our hands off that process and say, Jesus, I trust you with this process. What I see happening in churches and I see in myself is exactly what the point when he is trying to work and break through in our lives, we bail out. Because it's too hard or because we're offended by someone. And we're often offended by the very person God is using to actually teach us something. And what he says is when somebody offends you, will you stop telling me about them and will you start listening to me and saying, why is it that what is in you is rising up like this? And will you come to me, come to my cross, and we'll sort it out. I love you, but I'm really tired of the blame game. I can't get smooth stones because the stones rock and roll away with Mick Jagger, not with Jesus. Mick Jagger leads the stones, the rolling stone. (laughs) Jesus leads the stones into something far more powerful. This is not a joke. And yet at the same time it's kind and gentle and loving. Because it is the spirit of the living God. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, I have to live this stuff. I feel the same way. I'd rather not be here half the time. <laughs> so what, what happens? You go to French, uh, Friendly Cove and you walk along Friendly Cove and it's beautiful. And it becomes a beach that is just exquisite. It's interesting there's a church at the end of it. What kind of beach does Jericho Road want to be? 
Is it a place that people would come and put out their towels and lie down and say, this is a cool place to be and then find there's more to it? If you want that kind of place, if we want to live up to the tagline we put on our logo, which is a community on a journey, then you and I have to say to God, quite seriously, I'm committed to this. And I'm coming here and I'm going to say, Lord, what can I contribute? Because you might come here and say, you know, there's not a lot of love and people are not very friendly. And you go, that's cool. Then you can be part of the answer to that. Whatever it is that rises up in you, about why you don't belong here, you might want to say, Lord, are you saying that I can be part of the solution? And he might say yes, and you say, oh, but then I have to die. And he says, yeah, well, that's part of it. Lay down your life. Stop talking theory. Stop quoting scripture. Stop strutting around churches. Get into something. Like my son did for you. And I will make you smooth and round and beautiful but it's going to be within the context of others rubbing against. Two stones just make a noise. But when the Spirit of God and the, the waves roll over them together, it's a, it's a whooshing sound. And the whooshing sound is part of the shaping sound of the Spirit of God. In the natural, God always gives us clues to the supernatural. The good news is that God has huge plans for each of our lives. We're not lost on the myriad of people on the beach. There's only bad news if we're in the vineyard and we say, I want to be an owner. Then what I'm saying is offensive. Then what I'm saying is not good news because it means you can't be Lord and serve the Lord. We're nearly finished. I'm going to give you one more thing because it's not Christmas here. I need some help. I just want you to hand out these. And this is to take home with you. That means, could somebody come up and help? <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, Brad, you can get in on the action. Anybody else too? We could have some going to the back. I just want to give out these sheets. That, uh, these, are, these are very, very uh, sophisticated mirrors. Just leave me with one. Just, I'm giving you this because I'm anticipating you know, a kind of question, well, this is so difficult to understand. And I want to make sure that we have... Uh, it means everyone needs one. Everybody got one? Oh, sorry, Jean. How are we doing? If, you, if, you're a, if you're a couple, then maybe you can share so that if there's a, a need for a few more. I'm just going to end on this. This is a description. It's a description of what the church might look like. It's all, it's all the phrases where Jesus says and God says through the spirit of his, the Bible, love one another, care for one another, serve one another, all that stuff. It seems to me when you put all this together, it's quite difficult to stay theoretical. It's quite difficult to go, oh, I don't need to be. Because it seems to me this is a mirror that says two things. It'll, you'll have two reactions to this, I think. 
Um, the first question would be, so how are you doing? How far down the list can you go before you have to stop? You see, this is God's command to us. It's not a suggestion list. He said, if you want to be stones like this, then you've got to do the stuff. It also is a place where, like the Ten Commandments, it reveals to us that without Jesus and without Jesus' Spirit, we, we're hooped. We can't do it. So Jesus says, that's why I say to you, follow me, and that's why I say to you, be filled with my Spirit and my power. But, the fruit is here. And my um, sense from the Lord is, if you want to see more fruit, then pay attention to this. Pay attention to the relationships If you want to see me working in your life at a deeper level than you do right now, then pay attention to the relationships right around you. You don't need to go anywhere. Peter talked about living stones. We built up to be the body, the community that follows Jesus. We want to be a friendly cove as well, right? So I'd encourage you, as you reflect on this, uh, and there's pretty much, I'm afraid, no escape. You're in it. Is the invitation of God is if we want to build a community here, that we commit ourselves to uh, relationships that are caring and loving and have integrity. And that's it. And out of that, Jesus will form us and mold us. So the very things, don't be discouraged when things come up. I mean, David and I and Brad sometimes have difficult discussions and I'm a difficult person. I mean, seriously, I know I am. And they have to be really patient with me because I can get quite nasty. And and yet, there's also part of it... They actually can get quite nasty too. They just don't look... They hide it better. They're not going to get away with it. But we keep on saying if, if, if we're going to be a team we have to be able to deal with these things we have to wrestle we have to talk to each other we have to say how's it going to work out and the same is true for all of us that's why we have house groups that's why we have things where we can do this stuff I guarantee you if you're not growing it's because you're, not, you're neglecting relationships and I'm not talking about the same old same old same old same old relationships you've had for 50 years I'm talking about fostering new ones so this is the church a beach and are we allowing God to use us are we, part of a, are, we, are we going to be part of a community where we say I'm coming here and I'm saying Lord how do you want to use me and I need to also say it's not about using you because you're God's gift to this community it's about you being prepared to be used so that you can be redeemed in terms of your attitudes and your issues can also be helped. So it's not my coming in here saying, I'm not going to be changed. It's my coming in here saying, Lord, use me. And you say, okay. And maybe we were foolish enough to say, Lord, teach me patience. And the first thing he does is put us in a place where we feel so impatient. And he's beginning to work on that. But it's going to work in a situation where patience is demanded.
That's how it works. It's usually not madly spectacular. And in my experience, you know, rough-edged rocks going up to the front and saying, Jesus, please make me smooth, don't get answered too well. In other words, make me smooth without any effort and no suffering. It's, Lord, here I am, teach me how to go through that process so that that's where the fruit will eventually be. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So we're going to be a community uh, where there is commitment, where there is love, where there is patience, kindness, and where we all recognize that we need each other. And when we say, oh, you're rubbing me up the wrong way, our responses will praise Jesus that he's going to use that. Father, thank you for one another. Thank you that the people sitting around us are your pebbles, your stones, your gifts to us. We ask you to forgive us where we have often neglected that. And we pray that we would value the process of becoming a community. And that you will teach us how to be your people in this place at this time. And how to expect great things from you. Thank you for the hope that is in you, Jesus. We pray your Holy Spirit will take these words and root them deep in our hearts that we might be changed from the inside out. But that we might also deeply appreciate the gifts of the people you have given us and the community you have given us to belong to. I pray that you will release in this Christian body a deeper commitment that is not seen as a negative but is seen as a resolve for you to work in power. Starting with me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.